0: Hello, good morning, good evening to you ladies. I am so glad to be with you. I'm sorry I wasn't able to be with you in person last Tuesday. Um but it has been a week. I tell you, I got a cold which developed into a sinus infection, I then got double pink eye, I lost my voice and then we lost power. And so it has uh, been a long time coming in me being able to deliver this message to you. And so thank you for your patience, for your prayers. I am so thrilled to be with you, even though this is just a recording and we know that God is still present in our midst. Um, So let's get started. Today, we are talking about perseverance, and it's not lost on me that uh, as I persevered this week, so through did many of you as you persevered through the snowstorm, the ice, and everything that came with it. Now, Merriam-Webster defines perseverance as the ability to maintain a purpose despite difficulty or discouragement, to continue steadfastly, but I'd like to propose another definition. Perseverance is going for a bike ride with your toddler. Let me paint a picture for you to imagine. So imagine that it is dinner time and you're taking your family walk. But instead of riding in the stroller, your two-year-old insists on riding her bike, which means she's gonna walk her balance bike. So it's already very slow. She goes about 20 feet and then she throws aside her helmet and her bike because she has discovered an ant. And now this ant needs to be explored. So she lays on the ground, she looks at it, she pokes it. Then eventually she's done. She stands up and says, let's keep going. And because she's very cute and you're a sucker for her cuteness, you agree. So now you're carrying her bike and her helmet and she's walking. Very slowly, mind you. And you get past a few houses and then she, being very observant, looks around and says, we're on our way to the park. Let's keep going. And because she's correct, you are on your way to the park, you agree. But you severely underestimate the distance. And so the one mile walk ends up taking 45 minutes because there are multiple meltdowns, hers, not yours, yet and because she refuses to hold your hand when she crosses the street. So imagine that you finally arrive at the park, you have her bike, you have her helmet, you have her sticky little hand, your pockets are stuffed full of rocks and stones and acorns, her growing collection of treasures, and you're like, at last, (sighs) I'm gonna get a moment of rest. Would you like to go on the slide? No, I want an applesauce pouch. And, you very calmly say, I'm so sorry. We didn't bring any the applesauce pouches at home. To which she throws herself in the wood chips and cries, all done, no want to play, carry me home now. Friends, that is my definition of perseverance and not losing my ever loving mind. For me, perseverance is taking a bike ride with a two-year-old. But what does patient perseverance look like in your own life? Is it persevering in a job despite a challenging boss? Perhaps it's persevering in a marriage or in a relationship because you refuse to give up on that person. For you, maybe it's keep going, run that extra lap in your workout. Maybe it's saying no to that next drink so that you can maintain sobriety. Or perhaps it's choosing to believe the truth that God loves you even in the midst of your challenging circumstances. Friends, to persevere is to keep on pushing through because you know something better is waiting for you. And sisters, the ultimate something better is Jesus. On the day Jesus returns, good will be rewarded. All evil will be eliminated and all will be well. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your something betters will finally reach fruition on that glorious day. We can patiently persevere because we know that our perfect judge is coming soon. As Alice and Amy have taught us, parables are everyday stories, analogies, and metaphors that teach us about the kingdom of God. The parables are designed to surprise and shock us to shake us out of complacency, and to prompt us to ask, what does Jesus want me to know and understand about God and his kingdom in this parable? This week, you studied three different parables, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the net, and the parable of the seed. Now, each parable has its own distinctions, but the primary message of all three is clear. Jesus is returning, and when he does, perfect justice will be served. It's important to note that in the agricultural society of ancient Israel, the harvest was used to represent the end of the age, the day when Jesus returns and judges the world. It's an appropriate metaphor because if you're a farmer, you plant a crop, and after a growing season, you expect to go out into your fields and gather the harvest. If you've planted corn, you expect to harvest corn. If you grow grapes, you expect to gather grapes. If you plant apple seeds, you expect to harvest apples. And with each of these products at harvest time, you gather them in and you sort through them. You discard the bad and rotten fruit and you throw away any extra stuff that might've gotten in the harvest like debris or bugs or weeds. Whatever it is, you throw away the bad and you keep the good remaining crop and store it safely in your barn. And we saw the same pattern play out in the parables. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, a landowner planted wheat in his fields. But while he was sleeping, his enemy planted weeds. Now his field workers asked the landowner, should we just go and pull up the weeds? And the landowner said, no, let them grow. And when harvest time comes, Collect the weeds and burn them, and then gather the wheat and bring them safely into my barn. Similarly, in the parable of the net, the fishermen cast a net, they haul it to the shore, and sort through their catch on the beach. They discard the bad fish, and they keep the good fish. And finally, in the parable of the seed, a farmer doesn't tend to his fields, and yet he still benefits. Once the seeds grow, the grain is ripe, the farmer has a harvest that he is able to benefit from and he puts a sickle to it. With that broad overview in mind, there are three things I want you to notice about these parables. The first, Jesus is returning, praise God. The second, when he returns, perfect justice will be served. And finally, because Jesus is returning and bringing perfect justice, we can patiently persevere. So let's get started with point one. Jesus is returning. Look with me at Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, "'Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from?' "'An enemy did this,' he replied. The servants asked him, "'Do you want us to go and pull them up?' "'No,' he answered, "'because while you are pulling up the weeds, "'you may uproot the wheat with them. "'Let them both grow until the harvest. "'At that time I tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, in this parable, the landowner represents Jesus. And one of the first things that jumped out to me when I read this parable is that the landowner instantly identified the work of his enemy. Notice that the landlord didn't pause and second guess himself and go, hmm, was that good quality seed I got at Ace Hardware? Or, or maybe I didn't pull out all the weeds last season. He also didn't call the police and ask them to open an investigation into bioterrorism. He didn't Google a list of competitors and see what motives they might have and start a true crime broadcast and document his findings. He didn't even call in his field workers and ask them about their night, um, their whereabouts from the night before. Instead, the landowner immediately and distinctly identified the enemy who represents Satan in this parable. Now, don't miss this, friends. The landowner who represents Jesus in this parable knew his enemy. He knew his enemy's character, he knew his tactics and schemes, and he knew that his enemy intended to work against his good plans and purposes. And it's because the landowner knew his enemy that he knew how best to respond when the weeds were sown in his wheat fields. Which leads me to ask, do you know who Satan is? Can you identify his work? And are you aware of his tactics and schemes so that when trials come, you can patiently persevere? Uh, My new senior pastor at the Well Church in Austin, Tori Mayo, recently gave an insightful and convicting sermon on spiritual warfare. And he said, Satan's primary mode of attack is to deceive you and lead you to believe lies about God. That's it. It's that simple. Satan simply wants you to believe lies about God. Why? Why? Because if you don't know the full truth about God, it will be hard to distinguish between good and evil, between God and Satan, and between what is true and what is false. And since you're still breathing, like I am, chances are that you are battling a few lies about God. I know I am. So I'm just gonna pause for a few seconds, and I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are some of the lies i'm tempted to believe about god what are some of the lies i'm tempted to believe about god is it the lie that god's favor and love are earned by good works Or the lie that God is absent in the midst of these challenging circumstances, that he's far removed, that he stands at a distance. What about the lie that says the tragedy occurred in your life because you drifted from God and he was punishing you? For me, the lie I'm tempted to believe is that God created me fundamentally broken and unlovable. And you see, the problem with all of those lies is that they sound true. Satan knows our weaknesses, our insecurities, our vulnerable places, and he targets those areas. So next time you hear that lie, I want you to ask, does this sound like God's voice or some other voice? And friends, if it's not based on what is good, true, and beautiful about God and his word, then it's likely untrue. And let's reject that thought and claim the truth of Jesus. So let's look at what is true by reading what the bible has to say about satan the enemy in john 8 4, 44 he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native tongue for he is a liar and the father of lies or john 10 10 the thief comes only to still kill and destroy I, this is Jesus speaking, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or 1 John 3, 8. Because the devil has been sinning since the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And finally, in First Peter 5, 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we see that Satan is the father of lies, that he looks for someone to devour, that all he speaks is deceit. And in contrast, Jesus demonstrates in this parable first, that Jesus is not the source of evil, Satan is. Jesus is good. Second, the entire world belongs to Jesus and Satan had no right to bring evil into it. Jesus is king and ruler over all. And finally, Jesus will assert his kingship over the world by punishing the wicked and blessing the righteous at his return. Jesus is just and will make things right. So Jesus demonstrates that he is good, that he is king and ruler over all, and that he is just and will make all things right on his return. Friends, Jesus and his kingdom are superior in every way to Satan and his kingdom. There is no comparison. Jesus is the OG and everything else is a poor imitation. And who wants an imitation when you can have the real thing, right? Think about it knockoff imitation handbags lack the same high quality as the original social media relationships can result in catfishing placebo meds won't heal you aspartame is fake sugar and white chocolate isn't even chocolate so why bother with the calories but jesus he is the real deal he is good he is ruler over all and he is returning amen yes let's keep going the second thing I want you to notice today is that because Jesus is returning, perfect justice will be served. When Jesus returns, good will be rewarded, evil will be done away with. And this is what is commonly referred to as Judgment Day, the day each of us will stand account for what we have and have not done. Now, in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the metaphor used is that the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire while the wheat is safely gathered in the landowner's barn. In the parable of the net, the bad fish are thrown away and the good fish are kept in baskets. And notice in Matthew 13 verses 42 and 50, that in both cases the weeds and the bad fish are thrown into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Such is the fate awaiting those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus when he returns. And friends, Satan would love nothing more than for you to believe the lie that Jesus is unloving and doesn't care who goes to hell. But that is not the truth. The truth is found in John three sixteen verses 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The gospel is all about Jesus and about what Jesus has done on your behalf, sisters. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, took on flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died and rose again so that anyone and everyone who places his or her faith in Jesus might have eternal life. And perhaps what is most miraculous of all, is that Jesus is both the standard of measurement and the one measured on judgment day. He is the ruler and the one the ruler is being held up to. And if you're a believer, you don't have to fear judgment day because when Jesus looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering you. You stand forgiven and fully cleansed of your sins. To gain eternal life, you must be perfect as Jesus is perfect and that's something none of us could ever do. So Jesus himself is the one who stands in your place. His perfection covers you, his righteousness drapes you. Jesus is both the standard and the measurement of the, is both the standard of measurement and the one judged on judgment day. But the sobering reality is that not everyone who hears the gospel will receive the gospel. It's kind of like when you're at Target at 9.55 p.m. And they announce that it's time to please bring your final purchases up to the checkout. Some hear the instructions and they aim their red shopping carts right for that checkout. Others may hear the message, but they keep shopping anyway. Similarly, some will hear the gospel, but they will stop short of responding. Sisters, the gospel is only good news if you first acknowledge that you're dead in your sins and in need of a savior. If you think you're fine and already have everything you need, you won't recognize your need for a savior, much less desire the truth that leads you to salvation and new life. And this is the case of those who spend eternity apart from God. As Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. In other words, instead of being formed by Jesus, they allowed themselves to be continually and repeatedly formed by evil. So God eventually gave sinners over to the very sin and error that they had embraced. In the end, those who spend eternity apart from God receive what they most wanted, to be apart from God. Now we're already dismantling the lies of the enemy. So let's go after the big lie. The lie that says a good God wouldn't punish people. Or perhaps you've heard it put this way. Is God's justice necessary and loving? And quite honestly, it's hard to imagine justice because we haven't seen perfect justice this side of heaven. We long for evildoers to be brought to trial quickly and appropriately convicted. We want restitution for wrongs, for evil to be swiftly eradicated, and for innocence to be protected. And there are so many who work diligently to see that justice is carried out fairly and with equity. However, there is still corruption, abuse of power, and negligence in the system, which leads us to ask, is anyone, anyone coming who will bring perfect justice? Yes. Yes, there is, sisters, and his name is Jesus. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God says, For I, I the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. And right before Moses died, he sang this truth over the Israelites. God is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? Friends, judgment by a perfect, holy, and loving God is a good thing. God would not be good if he allowed evil to reign. He would not be just if he allowed evil to go unpunished. And he would not be loving if he demanded that we pay our own debt, a debt so large that only our perfect Savior could pay it. Jesus has freely offered himself. Will you receive him if you haven't already? Sisters, because Jesus is returning and because he will bring perfect justice, we can patiently persevere. That's our third point, patiently persevere. We said earlier that to persevere is to keep on pushing through the challenges because you know something better is waiting for you. And as we've studied, the ultimate something better is the return of Jesus, But the question still remains, what do I do today? What do I do with the injustice and the pain and the suffering and the loneliness and the poverty and the illness? You patiently persevere. And while I know that may sound so trite to some of you depending on your circumstances, or it may seem like a a phrase just slapped on a mug or a pillow, please keep listening. Turn with me to Mark chapter four, verses 26 through 29, where we find the parable of the growing seed. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters a seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Notice the farmer, who in this parable represents me and you, didn't care for his crop. He didn't water it or keep out the pests or fertilize it, and yet the crop still grew. At the appointed time, there was a harvest to gather thanks to the unseen work of a good God. And I don't know about you, but I find this parable encouraging because it reminds me that God's good plans and purposes come to fruition, even though they may appear in my time slowly coming. Our perfect judge is coming soon. And I'm also encouraged that God's kingdom advances regardless of our participation. You see, we cannot control or manipulate when and how Jesus returns. And that's good news because if we could control his return jesus wouldn't be king king jesus and his kingdom are so much bigger so much better and more expansive than we ever dared imagine i imagine the coming of god's kingdom is a little bit like the long slow process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly you see to keep emma ruth occupied while i've been sick i bought her a butterfly kit And the kit comes with these beautiful and easy to understand pictures of a caterpillar eating and then becoming a chrysalis and then emerging. And it's this beautiful butterfly. But when the adults read the fine print, then you see, ah, this isn't really as easy as it looks because first the caterpillars have to eat and they grow, they grow up to 10 times their original size and they shed their exoskeletons five times. Now, mind you, all of this is taking place in a little lidded cup. And of course, because they're growing, they're pooping. And so you have a cup of caterpillar poop sitting on your kitchen counter. Now, the instructions don't call it poop. They call it frass. But we all know that changing the name of poop doesn't change its substance, right? You still have a cup of poop sitting next to your salt and pepper. But I digress. So so they're eating. They're growing. Then they... Uh, shed their last exoskeleton they become a chrysalis then they're in their chrysalises seven to ten days it then takes them two to three hours to emerge from their chrysalis their wings to harden and only then can you begin doing the fun things like feeding them sugar water so basically when i read the instructions i was like huh i spent 35 dollars to watch caterpillars for 20 days maybe become butterflies. They give you a 60% chance that they'll become butterflies and not perish before that. And then you wait 20 days and you might enjoy them for two days. And you know what I'm not good at? Patiently waiting. Now forget Emma Ruth, she was out a long time ago, 20 days, She, she checked out. They're now my butterflies, let's be honest. And so the whole process is excruciatingly slow. And friends, there is little to no visual progress of the butterflies the caterpillars transforming into butterflies when they're in their chrysalises. It's like somehow in God's magnificent creation, their cells kind of break down, become this goo and and re re reimagine into a butterfly, but you can't see any of that. And so I walk by their habitat 10 times a day and I'm asking, what's going on? When are they gonna emerge? How will they know to emerge? What will they look like? And friends, I wanna ask you today, What are you waiting for? And I don't mean those silly little trivial things like waiting for butterflies to emerge or to find that close parking spot as delightful as those things are. What are you truly and deeply longing for? So many of you know what it means to wait for a negative scan or a positive pregnancy test or a much needed job promotion or the forgiveness of a friend. The weight of waiting can seem almost unbearable at times. But let me tell you, you are not alone. You have an entire community of women here at IBC who love and care for you. And what's more, you have a Savior who intimately knows and cares for you and walks with you every step of the way. So what does patient perseverance look like in those circumstances? I have four suggestions for you. First, keep the truth of God's word at the forefront of your mind. Cling to God's promises and reject the lies about God. Ask, is this good, true, and beautiful about God and his word? Second, live with the expectant hope because you know the end. Live with expectant hope and keep the end in mind. Knowing how the story ends grants you the ability and the perspective to endure the suffering and the pain of today. The Apostle Paul describes patient perseverance this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-18. through So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. Those hard times are small potatoes compared to the good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we cannot see now will last forever. Friends, if you are in the midst of challenging circumstances, know that your present is not your future a glorious future awaits you. Third, understand that patience and perseverance take time to develop. There's the old adage, don't pray for patience because you will be given every opportunity for it. And I feel like that's what I got to experience this week um, with the power outage and the sickness while writing this message on patient perseverance. And as you all know, you don't suddenly develop perseverance overnight. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. Let me say that again. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. Just like the metamorphosis of those caterpillars into butterflies is a slow and mysterious process, similarly, spiritual maturation takes time, effort, and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And finally, and most importantly, live in dependence upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. The apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Friends, we have everything we need in Christ. It is he who will produce within us the ability to patiently persevere as we cooperate with him. And the result of all this patient perseverance? A glorious future. When Jesus returns, you and I, we're told that we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message of chapter 13, verse 43 of Matthew. Our ripe and holy lives will adorn, will mature and adorn the kingdom of our Father. Now, the butterflies haven't emerged yet, and so I can't tell you if my exercise and patient observation uh, was worthwhile. But I can tell you that although the inbreaking of God's kingdom comes slowly and progressively, once Jesus returns and fully ushers it in, it will have been worth the wait. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are good, true, and beautiful, and that no matter what we say, uh, suffer through, or are challenged by today, that you are with us. We thank you that even in the midst of hard and challenging circumstances, you give us the ability to endure, to patiently persevere. You are with us, you equip us, you gift us with things like the gift of community and friends and family, so we will not be alone. You've given us the hope of your word and you've painted for us the glorious future that we have to look forward to. And I'm reminded of the words um, of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will all be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we shall see him as he really is and oh jesus how we long to see you as you truly are would you shape us and mold us in your image may we develop um, ripe spiritual fruit lord that brings glory and honor to you that we would shine like stars in your kingdom thank you that one day you are returning and all evil will be put away good will be rewarded. All suffering and sadness will be eliminated, and we will see you face to face and dwell with you forever. Oh Lord, how we long for that day. We love you, and we thank you for the inbreaking of your kingdom, and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Have a good day.